Malachi chapter 2 today, and we're going to just read this passage and then we'll get into it. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as it challenges our hearts, as it challenges our lives, may we hear it, may we receive it, may we respond to it uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit, who has authored this text, who has preserved it, uh, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living in us, giving life to our bodies now. And so, Lord Jesus, um, yeah, by your Spirit, teach us this morning. Uh, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. I actually want to back up a little bit so that we get the context of what Malachi has for us today. We go back to the very beginning of the book. We remember that the main question that Malachi is addressing and the main issue that the people of God have is that they are doubting the love of God. In chapter 1, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how? How have you loved us? And this question is really the heart behind the whole letter. It's the thing that creates all the problems that Malachi addresses. Is the people are doubting the love and the care of God for them. And everything flows out of that. When we, when we lose our love for the Lord, then, then all of these issues start to surface. Issues in our worship, issues in our finances, issues in our giving, issues in how we uh, navigate marriage, and issues in how we navigate just living together. It, it all starts to fall apart when we believe or when we doubt that God doesn't love us anymore that he has somehow just left us to our own devices. So everything flows out of that question. Everything gets healed in answering that question the way God answers it. I have loved you. That is his declaration to us this morning. Well, we're in chapter 2 and verses 10 to 16. So if you have that, just uh, turn there. Uh, here it is. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord of God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not 
be faithless. This is the word of the Lord. Well, weddings are a lot of fun, and they're a lot of work, aren't they? Except for this past year and a half. <laughs> and actually, I think that's been a good thing. Because a lot of time and money and stress and energy goes into the wedding day, and it's just that. A day. Most couples, most families would benefit greatly from keeping it simple, keeping it a lot cheaper, and not because they need the money, but because the wedding day is just a day. The most important part of the day is the least expensive thing. It's the vows, it's the promise, it's the covenant that we make with one another. The Bible clearly teaches that the covenant of marriage is second only to our covenant with God, but at the same time, marriage is also a covenant with God. He is involved. And God is a covenant partner with us because he instituted, designed, and blessed marriage. Genesis 1.26, God's final act of creation was to create a being that would reflect his image in the world. The likeness, the completeness of humanity, man and woman, created in his image. It's the most important point out of Genesis chapter 1, the image of God. He created us to be that, to reflect that into the world that he created. It's the most important thing. It's the pinnacle. It's the very good. Genesis 2.18. This is a verse all men should memorize because all the women already have it memorized. God saw the man was alone and it was not good. Not tov. Everything else in creation. He saw it and it was good. 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 He saw this. This is not good. And we know that, don't we, guys? Right? Right? Amen. <laughs> the women will say amen to that way quicker than the guys. This is not good. He needs help. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Paul, in instructing men and women about their relationship and, and their marriage roles, he, he, he flips back and forth between, well, I'm talking about marriage, but really I'm talking about Jesus and his church. And this is a model. This is, this is a, the image of Jesus' love for his church is embodied in Christian marriage. Paul is instructing that spouses model their marriage on the relationship between Christ and the church so that that example would declare the glory and the wonder of the gospel to a watching world. And Malachi's dealing with faithfulness to the covenant with God. Faithfulness matters because our approach and our attitude toward our relationships is directly related to our approach and our attitude toward our relationship with God and our witness to the world. Have we not one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another as the covenant community? This is the big question of this whole passage. The main point of the passage is the, the, the reality that the people of God that Malachi was addressing were being faithless. It's, re, 
It's repeated five times in verse 10, 11, 14, 15, and 16. Over and over, this is, this is the, the gong that keeps ringing. Faithlessness, 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 faithlessness. The people are accused of it, and they are called to change. The, the, the first issue is that of, of intermarriage. And, and, it's, and, and divorce is part of this, too. We get down to 13, and if you look in uh, Ezra and the end of Nehemiah, these, these things kind of overlap historically. But, but Malachi is addressing the nation here. He's addressing specifically uh, the Levites and the leaders saying, hey, this is the faithlessness of my people that you need to address. But the intermarriage and the divorce issue is secondary. It's an outflowing of the faithlessness toward God and his covenant. Both grow out of doubting God's love and his purpose and his call for Israel. Because when we doubt God's reality in our lives and his love for us, we often will abandon his clear direction and his purpose which leads us to violating not only our families, but our community and our commitments, and life becomes all about me. Because as one uh, early church father put it, I think it was uh, Augustine, that, that sin is humanity turned, in, turned inward. All about me. Well, intermarriage is about polluting the community with marrying daughters of a foreign god. And divorce is violating the covenant which God, to which God was a witness. And the call that Malachi has is, so be on your guard, watch over your spirit. And note that the work, the challenge is internal. It's a hard issue. Watch your spirit. Because divorce and compromising your faith for the sake of marriage begins in our hearts and minds long before the event. So out of this passage, three key things come out. We, we learn about profaning God's purposes, polluting God's presence, and violating God's principles. Uh, profaning God's purposes in 2.10. God has created one family, he, one father, one people, one God, and, and Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 4. God has called and created his people for his purposes to reflect his oneness. And the root of all relational breakdown is a violation of the covenant we have with God. It's all about God. We come back to this one God, one Father, one creation, down in verse 15. So verse 10 and 15 kind of form a, 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 a brackets around some of this section, and it's the key thing. God's purposes are being violated in Israel. And so the prophet tells us, watch your spirit, don't be faithless. Polluting God's presence. In, in verses 11 and 12, he, he kind of goes on the attack of this, what does it mean to, to marry a daughter of a foreign god? Well, this isn't a racial issue, this is a religious issue. Uh, most suggest that there was that uh, active... Um, idolatry was happening even right in the temple courts. You know, the people were bringing their sacrifices to God as he commanded, but at the same time, they were like, well, maybe we can have some extra gods on the side, too. And they were, they were pulling in, you know, uh, syncretism, where, where you just kind of pick and choose, you know, the religion of the month, the flavor of the month, and you pull it into one idea. Uh, Archaeology kind of bears this out. We have inscriptions to Yahweh and his Asherah. 
uh, in, in these temple shrines scattered around Israel, dating probably from the post-exilic period. And, and so they were trying to pull in, you know, the Asherah poles and kings that were supposed to be torn down and burned, well, they just kind of put them together. And, and there's actually, uh, I can't remember where it is, but, but uh, archaeologists have found like a, a holy of holies with a, with a little thing set up and then another uh, stone with, that had incense on it, and it's, it's, a, it's a shrine to Yahweh and his Asherah. As if they were husband and wife. And this is the kind of pollution of God's presence that was happening in Malachi's time. And just think about this. This was happening after the Babylonian exile. This was happening after God returned them from exile because of all of this stuff. And they're sliding back into it. The abdication of covenant responsibilities for the sake of just being part of the culture around them. And aren't we in danger of those kind of moves today? So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Profaning God's purposes, forgetting that one God and Father created us to reflect Him into our world. And that He created our relationships to reflect that as well. Guard that polluting God's presence by eroding our commitment to this one God and His Word. But thirdly, violation of God's principles in chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. The second thing you do, you, you're, you're weeping, you're, you're, you're coming to prayer meeting and you're pouring it all out and you're, and you're crying and you're, you're carrying on and, and you wonder why God doesn't listen to you. The mystery of God's silence here. Because he no longer accepts your offering and he doesn't listen to your prayers. Well, Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, verse 7, you know, make sure that you're, that you're taking care of your marriage for the sake of your prayers. Your prayers are going to be hindered when your relationship with your spouse is strained. Oh, we often don't like to think about this. Because the most strained relationship in your life is probably the one with your husband or wife. It's the one that gets tested the most. It's the one that's really the most challenging because the closer you are, the more tension you can create with one another. 25 years, we're still working on it, right? Everybody's still working on it. First Peter 3.7 Look at what the wife is called. This is speaking directly to us guys, but you say, why does he not? Verse 14, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. To whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The wife of your youth, your, your companion, your, 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 your friend, and your wife by covenant. This is a covenant relationship. This is a companion relationship. This is a lifelong relationship. The long-term relationship is in view. And it's a covenant. And Malachi challenges us to get back to this basic view. 
did he not make them one? He's, he's reminding us of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Did he not make them one? By this, you know, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's saying, get back to that. Get back to that leaving and cleaving to your wife. Honor this covenant. Get back to the one God, one creator. He owns you, and he has an expectation of you in this relationship. So guard, keep, protect, and watch over your spirit and your heart and your mind because the battle is inside before it's outside. It's a hard issue before it's a relational issue. Being faithful to our wives isn't about what she does or doesn't do. It's about what we decide to do and to be regardless. And who we are determined to worship. Because it's about the one God. One Father. One Creator. And His covenant with us that determines that depth. So don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth or to anyone else. He, he starts off, this is a bigger issue. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And so this passage raises some really tricky points for us, really tricky challenges. It's talking about a covenant relationship with with. Uh, you know, fellow Israelite in marriage, what do you do in the situation where your spouse is not a believer then? Now, 1 Corinthians 7 has many situations, and Paul struggles with this. Now, first of all, the passage doesn't really address that situation. The situation is of those who are believers, people of God, who are choosing to marry outside of the faith community to those who hold other beliefs. That, that's really what this passage is, is talking about, what it's, what it's warning about. Marrying the daughter of a foreign god is to marry into another religious family and bring that family into your family. A totally different theology. And the Bible's pretty clear about that in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-15. Just don't do it. Now sometimes along the journey of life, a husband or wife comes to faith in Jesus and the other doesn't, and that obviously creates a tension. But Paul encourages the believing spouse to stick with it, 1 Corinthians 7, 12-13. If, however, the unbelieving spouse wants out, then to allow it, uh, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 7. But then to stay unmarried afterward, uh, 7-11 of 1 Corinthians 7. And it's not always this simple or cut and dried. It's always messy. And if you really spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 7, you'll find there's a lot of tension Paul's dealing with. And sometimes he's kind of, I think he's frustrated with, with, with the tension that this creates too. And we pray for change and we love as Christ and we never know what God is doing or how he's going to respond. So keep at it and keep praying for that change to happen. Well, the other question that this comes out in the second half, it talks about violating the covenant with the wife. The wife of your youth, your wife by covenant. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her 
says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. What if you've been through a divorce? You know, there's situations where separation is is the is the is the best option. Adultery, violence, abuse, getting out and getting help. You know, some have, have used narrow legalistic interpretations of scripture to, to, to force women to go back to an, an abusive situation, and that's just not okay. We have to protect as well. It's a violation of covenant to be an abusive partner. The question I think some people struggle with is because of the way it's been handled in church sometimes is that divorce has come across as the unpardonable sin, but it's not. You know, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit that leads you to life and faith of surrender to Jesus Christ, you know, rejecting that is an unpardonable sin. And the stigma of the divorced person in the church is an unfortunate consequence of a shallow understanding of the gospel. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 tells you that you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 8, 1-2 says that you are free and forgiven in Christ and you're a new person. The gospel offers us forgiveness for any and all sin. And we dare not have a shallow understanding of the gospel that keeps holding people's past against them when it's just different sins than ours. Are there long-term consequences? Absolutely. For every sin, there is a consequence. Will there be long-term pain and regret and remorse? Of course, life is messy and complicated. All sin has consequences, but all sin is completely covered by and removed and atoned for by the cross of Jesus Christ. The main idea that Malachi wants us to grab a hold of, I think, here in using this really as an illustration of the breakdown of relationship with God is that we have to guard our hearts and our minds and our souls from the things which draw us away from God and from our spouses. And it all starts in the mind. So guard yourselves in your spirit. And the Hebrew word here is, is spirit, heart, mind, will, emotions. It's all-encompassing. It's everything about you. Guard your whole being. And don't be faithless to the covenant with God and the covenant with your spouse. So it all starts in the mind. So the questions are, what do you think about the most? What fills your mind? What are you watching? What are you reading? How are you feeling about your marriage even if you don't act on it? Pornography, romance novels, movies, games, Facebook, YouTube, daydreaming can all be a distraction. Guard your heart. Anything that leads us to disengage from a relationship with God and a relationship with our spouse is dangerous. Run. Guard yourselves and your spirit. Do not be 
faithless. Watch out. You may need to get help, sign up for some counseling. We're planning on launching Freedom Session at the, in fall, and it's a 20-week course to go into why, what are the broken pieces in my life that I need God to heal so that, so that I can have a better relationship with Him and with others and grow in my faith, because sometimes there's things in our lives that, that have just trapped us, and we're coasting, and we're numb, and we're denying the realities of maybe what happened to us as kids, as teenagers, as adults, that we just, you know, we've tr we just try harder. We try harder to, you know, go to church more, read the Bible more, pray more, serve more, and it keeps burning us out because there's probably stuff in our lives that we have not asked God to come in and heal the damage in our own hearts. And what ends up happening is we end up damaging others when we walk around with a damaged heart. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Do not be faithless. Let's pray. Lord, this passage packs a lot. And Lord, I know there's tensions around some of what we read here. And there's life experience that rubs up against and gets emotionally uh, raw. And it's challenging. Lord, we need your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to bring us to an end of ourselves, to identify those places we have not surrendered to you and ask you to come into our hearts and lives and heal. And so, Lord, would you do a work through your word and through your spirit that would lead us to a greater faithfulness to you, to our spouses, to our kids, to our family, to our church, to our world. Lord, equip us to be the people who display your glory and your honor, who embody your gospel in everyday life, every day. Because that's what you created us to be and do. To bear the image of God and walk in our relationships and in our world out of that settled place that we were created to reflect you to our world. And so, Lord, heal our hearts. Fill us with your spirit. Move in power so that we can grow in that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Romans chapter 16 is our benediction for today. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.